Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Digital Killed the Radio Star. This is a special bonus episode that we're going to start uh, doing every couple of weeks. Uh, Chris will be doing some on his own in the future, and uh, I will be doing some on my own. Uh, so today, I'm very honored to have uh, my friend Stephen Michael on the phone with me from Atlanta. He is the host of Growing Up Rock podcast, also with Sonny Pooney, who has been on this podcast as well. And uh, it's a uh, it's a very it's one of my favorite podcasts. It's a very unique uh, concept they have. So before we go any further, I just want to welcome Stephen to the show. Hey, Stephen. Hey, David. What's going on? Thanks for having me, buddy. Oh man, uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Why don't you, before we get going, tell everybody a little bit about your podcast and where they can find it. So, Growing Up Rock uh, is a podcast that essentially centers around um, memories and stories that we all have growing up around rock and roll music. So, whether it's that first concert you went to, or that special concert you went to, or that first time that you heard that Van Halen record, it's primarily hard rock and heavy metal, Um, and it's just, there's... We say that everybody's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours, because we think that uh, you don't have to be a rock star to have a great rock story. Uh, So not only do we interview rock stars, but we also interview everyday people that just, you know, work nine-to-five jobs and uh, listen to to rock and roll music, uh, because we think that you know, everybody's got a cool story to tell. So we just want to share some of those with the listeners. And you can find our podcast on any podcast outlet that you uh, choose to listen to. And, you know, iTunes store. And uh, you can go to the website at com and check out the podcast and uh, the interviews and the stories that we write. We uh, write some reviews and things like that um, at that location as well. So that's it. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, it's it's interesting because if you're a music music freaks like we are, um, it's kind of a common bond. Uh, and even if it was like, let's say it's a band that you know that Steven's a huge fan of, and I, I'm just a casual fan of, it's always fun to hear you know people tell their stories about you know concert happenings, things that happened to concert, how important that was to them, or a particular album, or. Uh, you know just how music makes you feel and it's kind of a uniting uh, it's a uniting thing amongst uh, music people and uh you have a great co-host with you as well sonny pooney hollywood as uh, as he's being called now uh but yeah hollywood pooney i really i really love the podcast that you guys have and I always look forward to uh to a new one whenever it comes out how, you put you put one out a week is that correct yeah, pretty much we release on uh, on Sunday nights, late Sunday nights, so you have it early Monday morning, but we pretty much put a full episode out Monday morning, um, and then uh, Throwback Thursdays, we release usually a time capsule episode, which is essentially a listener story, so if you go to the website, com and you put in your rock and roll story, and it's not like it has to be a novel or a book or just some crazy, whacked-out story. If you go there uh, and you put in your story and say, hey, I remember the first time that I went and saw, uh, you know, Bon Jovi or whatever, Van Halen, uh, and you, you remember specific things about it and it was important to you and, and you put that story in there, then we'll, 
we'll maybe contact you, reach out to you, maybe even get you on the podcast for a time capsule episode. Uh, and David, you know, you did a recent uh, time capsule episode that'll be coming out in October uh, with us uh, not too long ago. Yeah, so if you have a good story, I encourage you to go there to the website and uh, write uh, write the story down for them. And uh, you may uh, be lucky enough to be like I was last week and uh, get to talk. I talked about uh, uh, back-to-back Black Crows uh, shows at the Tabernacle in Atlanta. Well, Stephen, whenever we have somebody new on the first time, I ask them two questions. And so we're going to keep with that format. What's your earliest memory of music and what was the artist and or band that uh, hooked you in for life? Well, my earliest memories of music is I grew up around a huge family, and so there was always music around the house. So we had everything from uh, Sinatra and Big Band all the way up to, you know, Jethro Tull, The Beatles, Beach Boys, Deep Purple, things like that. Um, So that's my earliest memories of of music. I can remember thumbing through um, my sister's album collection and and uh seeing jethro toll aqualung cover that kind of freaked me out <laughs> um and the artist that probably put me over the top and and my main artist was early van halen that was it for me you're not the only one <laughs> uh early van halen uh definitely was a game changer and uh, that uh, that influence is still being uh, still being felt today. Uh, I find it interesting whenever you listen to a lot of these podcasts and you talk uh, to different people, much as like you and I have. Uh, it it's if you took away Kiss Alive and Van Halen One, very few people would have anything to mention as their first album. Um, you know that that those two albums just seem to be so unifying amongst uh people that uh, you know especially like hard rock and metal but even just rock and roll and guitar players it's just it's insane the amount of influence those two albums have had on everybody you know i've done a lot of interviews fairly recently with people and kind of talked to them and it seems like for me anyway the the most recent people that i've interviewed it's, it's all been about kiss but oddly enough it hasn't necessarily been about kiss alive it's been more about destroyer really um than than anything yeah man destroyer keeps popping up uh as the the album the kiss record that basically set them off um, and then, of course, they went back and they, disco- and they discovered Alive and things like that. But Destroyer is the one that uh, has popped up on my radar uh, more times with the people I've talked to. And that's just, you know, that could just be the select group of people I've talked to or whatever. There's no telling, but uh, that's been essentially what, it, what it's been. So uh, I don't know uh, what the theme is with that. And for me, it wasn't Van Halen 1 because, uh, I was pretty young uh, in 79 when Van Halen 1 came out, 78, 79. So for me, uh, it was more about fair warning. Really? That's that's yep. an in- interesting one because, you know, that one is obviously doesn't carry a lot of the same themes that the, uh, you know, it's it's a little more, I guess, darker than the, than the first three albums. But, uh, hey, that's got Hear About It later on there. That's one of my top five Van Halen tracks. Yeah, I, I mean, I can just remember that the opening to uh, Mean Street and uh, just being amazed at what I was hearing. It just sounded so good. I mean, it is still uh, in contention for one of my favorite Van Halen records today. 
yeah, I, I like the record as well. So I gave um, um, Stephen, kind of let him tr- pick the topic for this week. And uh, we're going to talk about some of our favorite concerts that we attended um, before the age of 21. So um, I'm 41, so my cutoff would be uh, 1997. So I've got uh, I've got my five here, and I know Stephen, you've got uh, you've got five. Well, since you're the guest, I'm just going to let you start us off. We'll just go back and forth and uh, have a good time. Yeah, okay. I didn't really rank these in any particular order. I just kind of pulled out five shows that I thought were pretty important to me in my youth. And, uh, you know, I would say what what defines a great concert? Um, What what defines a great concert experience? And uh, I keep going back to, you know, the overall set list um, and the music and the material, but also you know, how much of a show was it? Was it, you know, bombastic show? Was it kind of simplistic? You know, what made it a great show? And so, um, you know, my five shows that I pulled out kind of had, the majority of it all had, you know, the full package, as as I say. So uh, in no particular order, I guess one that I'm going to start with um, was I saw Rat and Bon Jovi, in 1985 uh, at the Mississippi Coast Coliseum. Rat was on the Invasion of the Privacy Tour, and Bon Jovi was opening up on the 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit tour. Wow. Uh, and, and Rat shot the video for You're in Love at that concert. Wow, that's really cool. So that, that sticks out in my mind. That was a special experience. Uh, I went backstage at that show. Uh, got all the guys in rat to sign my uh, backstage pass. Uh, and just, I remember being in the venue before the concert uh, was open to the public. And I can remember them setting up to shoot the video. And uh, I remember Richie Sambora from uh, Bon Jovi walking in with some hot girl on his arm. <laughs> you know, just all these things going on, I, these are specific things that I remember uh, from that from that day and from that concert. How, how old would you have been at that show? Uh, 85, I guess I would have been 17, maybe 18 years old. Was that out of high school. Was that your first hard rock show that you'd been to? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. My, my first concert, we're saving that one because okay. that is one of the top five okay. that I'm going to talk about, but... Uh, no, Rat and Bon Jovi, uh, uh, not my first, uh, my first rodeo, as they say. But, so did you, did you uh, go definite, to, did you go specifically to see Rat or Bon Jovi or both? Uh, both. It was more Rat than Bon Jovi. I was there to see Rat. I was a huge Rat fan, especially those first two albums. Um, and so, uh, I was there more to see Rat, um, but Bon Jovi was a bonus, and I and I like the seventy eight hundred degrees uh, record. I know that nobody really talks about that record, especially nowadays, but I, I like that record, and I thought they were amazing. I thought they were really good. It was a you know a, a condensed uh, set list. They opened up with Tokyo Road, and it was it was great, man. They were really really good, really tight. Well. Did they? Uh, you know, they act like those first two Bon Jovi records don't even exist anymore. 
Um, yeah, that's no, kind of funny. The band. Uh, who did you who did you think was better, Rat or uh, Bon Jovi? Well, you know, I, I I always think the headliners usually kind of are kind of better. I mean, I'll, I'll say Rat was better, but, but you know, they had the full on production and the full show, and I just like. Uh, in terms of material, I'm a bigger rat fan than I am Bon Jovi. I like the material more. It's a little heavier um, uh, than than Bon Jovi. I mean, Bon Jovi has a lot of music that I like, but uh, Bon Jovi has a lot of slower stuff that I'm not a huge fan of. I'm not very much a ballad guy, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. So, what's your favorite rat album? That's really, really tough. I, I would that would have to go back and forth between uh, uh, "Out of the Cellar" and "Invasion of Your Privacy." I mean, those are, for me, those are the best two records, without a doubt. Um, yeah, uh, there's it, it, tons of tons of good material out there, but those two records are great. We, I think, nowadays we forget just how huge Rat was for about four or five years. I mean, they were huge. They were every bit as big as Motley. Yeah, I mean they were every bit as big as Motley. The, the you know, I, I've seen actual conversations, discussions go on in different chat rooms as to why um, Motley, um, in the end, sort of ended up like this really big band as opposed to Rat. Rat just kind of sort of faded off into the distance, and um, a lot of people. Uh, kind of say, well, it was because, you know, Motley was always seemed to be in the news, right? They always seemed to have all these issues and all these problems, and they were the bad boys of rock, which Rat really never got that kind of publicity. You know what I mean? Right, but they were every bit as bad. Uh, <laughs> when it, you know. Yeah, well, exactly. They were from the cut from the second cloth. I guess they just didn't air their laundry out, so to speak, as much as is Motley. And you know, uh, things like uh, Vince Neil killing the drummer from uh, Hanoi mm-hmm. Rocked and all that news that went down at that point in time uh, before Theater of Pain and just different things like that kind of kept them in the news. But um, you know, for whatever reason. Um, rat just kind of faded off into the distance and, and, uh, never, you know, never could, um, achieve the, the, the status that Motley did throughout the years, you know? Well, and whereas a lot of people, well, I, I guess it just depends on your thoughts on both bands. A lot of people think that rat started going downhill, you know, with a reach for the sky and artistic, in my opinion, artistically and you know sonically, Motley Crue peaked as far as with Vince Neil with the Doctor Feelgood record. So when Rat was kind of starting to wane a little bit, Motley Crue was really picking up steam. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's I think that's fair. I mean, I'll be just me personally. I think Rat probably has more material that I actually like better, um, but. That's not to say I'm not a crew fan. I mean, there's tons of crew stuff that I like, too. It's just, you know, I mean, it's a toss-up. They're both uh, sort of cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways, you know. So yeah. uh, it's just personal opinion, personal preference. All right, so we had Rat and Bon Jovi at the uh, Mississippi Coast Coliseum in Biloxi. And 
somewhat of a cool venue. It's it's literally uh, across the street from the beach, so uh, you don't see a lot of uh, coliseums uh, on the beach. But that one is uh, is as close to being on the beach as you can get. Absolutely. So I'm going to go with my first hard rock show that I went to see in February of 1993 at the uh, Mid South Coliseum in Memphis, and that would be Def Leppard on the uh, Adrenalize tour. And um, two years earlier, I had wanted to go see Guns N' Roses at the Pyramid, which the Pyramid is a was was a cool, really cool venue. Obviously, it's shaped like a pyramid, and it's literally on the Mississippi River and Guns N' Roses was going to be the first concert ever and my mother would not let me go I would have been 15 at that time and uh, she just was not willing to let me go you know hour and a half away with a bunch of people my age to see Guns N' Roses which I guess in hindsight I can see why she said that because they did not quit playing until three in the morning but uh, Def Leppard I was able to uh, go see and went and saw it with about eight buddies from high school and uh, a couple of things that really stick out to me. I'm a huge Def Leppard fan, and I know uh, that <laughs> that alienates some of our listeners. They're going to give me a hard time for that. But I, I really love Def Leppard. And that was on the Adrenalize tour. And, you know, it had been four or five, four, probably four or five years since they toured because uh, Joe Elliott had vocal issues and Vivian, um, excuse me, Steve Clark died. And so uh, Vivian Campbell was in. But. I just remember the anticipation, and this was when they were um, in the round. So uh, you know, the stage is in the middle of the co- middle of the Coliseum, and they have this huge tent that covers the stage and goes from the top. And I remember the lights going down, and and all of a sudden the Hysteria logo was was being imposed on the tent, and you have the Clint Eastwood saying, you know, are you feeling lucky, punk? Did he fire five shots or six? And at that point, you heard, you know. Do you want to get rocked, rocked? And then all of a sudden, the uh, the tent was gone, the band was there, and, uh, you know, my first real hard rock show, and I was just in hog heaven, as they say down here in the South, and uh, just loved it. And uh, set list was kind of heavy on Adrenalize. They played uh, played some... I, actually, I like Adrenalize more than a lot of people do, but uh, I just remember it being so much fun and uh, White Lightning. They played that, and I remember that because I love that song off Adrenalize. But uh, just a really fun time, and you know, and even though grunge had hit at that point, Def Leppard was still a big band. I mean, it was you know sold out ten or twelve thousand seat arena. But uh, yeah, that was one of my still one of my favorite concert memories. Are, are you a Def Leppard fan, Stephen? I, I am early Death Leopard. Who who opened that show? Do you remember, David? There was no opener. It was all them. Um, really? Yeah. They it, didn't have an opening act. And was in in I did I misunderstand you? But Steve Clark was still in the band, right? No, he was he, still alive at no, that point. He had died, and this was their. You know, Vivian Campbell was in. Um, and so, so so was this the Adrenalize tour, or was it? Um, I, he, he died in between hysteria and adrenaline. I, yeah, I think he died in like 90 or 91. And uh, okay. this was in 93. So this was early 93. So this was like the second leg of the Adrenalize tour. Okay, okay. I got you. I'm trying to remember if I saw that tour or not. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like early Death Leopard. And, and uh, um Definitely, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because is are are you done? Is it yeah, my turn yet? Yeah, yeah, go, go right ahead. So, so, 
So I'm gonna see I'm gonna see your deaf leopard and I'm gonna raise you a deaf leopard. <laughs> so I saw I saw I saw Deaf Leopard in '83 on the Pyromania tour. Oh wow! Um, and this was their first U.S. tour because up until this point, I think that they had. When I say, let me rephrase that: this was the first headlining U.S. tour. Um, up until this point, I think they had been in the states and they had been opening for Billy Squire or somebody. They had been opening up for somebody else, and and Pyromania, you know, picked up steam and sold a boatload of records. So they ventured out on their first headlining tour, uh, and I saw that. Um, and I want to say it was the first leg of their U.S. headlining tour, and. The opening acts were Crocus and John Butcher Axis. Do you remember who John Butcher Axis is? I've never heard that name. Okay. Giving with it at some point. So John, John Butcher Axis is essentially Jimi Hendrix. Not really Jimi Hendrix, but essentially Jimi Hendrix. Same style. So just he dressed like him, he played like him. He even a little bit looked like him a little bit, you know, but um, I, I wasn't a huge fan. just wasn't really my thing. Um, it was much, much later in life when I got into Hendrix, but um, John Butcher Axis was third on the bill, and Crocus uh, was supporting uh, Headhunters, which was a fantastic record. Uh, definitely one of my favorite, probably my favorite Crocus record. Do you like Kirkus at all? I'm just casual fan of of them. I, I'm I can't say that I yeah. you know other than just a few songs. That's about all I know. Yeah. So well, where, they where, were supporting headhunters. Where was this? Mississippi. Okay. Mississippi Coast Coliseum. So yeah. the, the Mississippi, Mississippi music scene. Mississippi music scene's getting a lot of love today. Man, well, it's going to get all its love pretty much from me because as I as I said. That was really the only place uh, outside of um, uh, my town that was pretty much, I had to travel to go see big concerts, and that was the closest venue to where I live. So, uh, yeah, for sure, it's going to be getting all my love today. So, um, so you, and you were lucky enough to see Rick Allen play acoustic drums. I, I was uh, lucky enough, and in fact, uh, here's another cool thing. So, uh, I was a true, true music freak when I was uh, growing up. I was the kid that um, uh, got to the venue at you know noon and hung out in the parking lots, and I was first in line because back in those days it was general admission. So, so I was the kid that uh, with his friends that. Hung out in the parking lot, hung out at the hotels, hung out backstage by the buses, trying to get, you know, pictures or autographs or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I was a, I was a music freak, uh, and especially when it came to hard rock and metal. So um, I can remember always getting to the venue early, always being first or at least in the first 10 to 15 people so that when the doors opened, you ran down front in front of the stage and got crushed up against the barrier do you remember any of that or oh that yeah I've, I've i've definitely been to some shows uh like that but i think you and i would could definitely have been friends back then because uh my co-host chris he likes to give me a hard time so like uh if uh 
like I went and saw um, Chris and I went and saw Tom Petty a couple of months ago, and I like I like even you know even though it, I had a you know reserved seat, I like getting there when the doors open. I like the process of sitting in my seat, sitting there with a buddy, talking about music, talking about you know the band we're going to see, and just relaxing. I hate co- getting to a concert. After like the opening band has started, you're fighting in the dark trying to find your seat. You, you know you spill people's beers, and it's just I love getting there and getting settled in. You know, an hour or two before the show, and and just really taking the whole experience in. I do too. I like I like supporting the opening act. I mean, most of the time when I went to concerts, it was because uh, there was a good opening act on the bill. I mean, uh, for me and. Uh, that Death Leopard concert um, for Pyromania, um, I have a, I have two things. One is somewhere I have my ticket stub, which was signed by Steve Clark, oh, and two cool. I have, and two I have a snapshot of me getting that ticket signed with Steve Clark outside the buses. Wow, you ought to, you should upload that to your uh, website. That's that's really cool, and I. You know, I've, unfortunately, you know, nobody's ever going to have that opportunity to get that again. Yeah, I will absolutely uh, be putting that up uh, at some point on growinguprock.com because uh, um, it was, a, you know, it's a special moment when I look back at that picture. It's really cool because, I mean, you know, he's, st- he's standing there in, in sunglasses and uh, his British uh, flag shorts and uh, just, you know, Totally cool. So how how good was Def Leppard? Def Leppard was awesome. I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, I enjoyed it because, I mean, the set list, you have to think, the set list was was primarily uh, high and dry and pyromania. So all the good shit. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, listen, I I don't have a lot against like hysteria and adrenalized and, and the later stuff. But for me, my Death Leopard was high and dry uh, on Through the Night and Pyromania. Those three records were it for me. Oh, yeah, you can't, you, know? you cannot go, especially high and dry. Uh, that That's, I mean, Pyromania is really good, but high and dry to me, man, it's just pedal to the metal. Pyromania was probably my most favorite record, but I'll be honest, over the years, probably High and Dry has become my favorite uh, Death Leopard record. Have you um, listened to the uh, recent Live Hysteria album that they put out? I have not. So, you know, they did a residency at the Hard Rock in Vegas, and they, uh, they opened for themselves every night. They called themselves Dead Flatbird. And yeah, you can see the video too. Yeah, go, go watch. Have you seen that video? I have, I have, and I have the uh, I have the Blu-ray as well. And they play a bunch of high and dry songs, which you know, obviously Phil yeah. Co- Phil Collin was not on that album, and neither obviously Vivian Campbell wasn't. Uh, and it's it's kind of cool to hear them uh, to hear them play those songs because uh, high and dry, is, man, that's that's a that's a good album. And you know, the weird thing about them is like their stuff's not on. Spotify or iTunes, like High and Dry is not, Pyromania is not, Hysteria is not. It's it's just all their recent stuff, and I just I feel like they're missing out on a ton of money by not having that uh having those albums on either. Right. Um, well, so I'm gonna talk about my next show, which happened uh, in uh, 
1995 at in Tupelo, Mississippi, I saw Van Halen and the supporting act was Our Lady Peace. And uh, this concert actually got postponed. Uh, I went to the uh, I went to Ole Miss, the University of Mississippi in Oxford, and me and a bunch of my buddies got tickets the day that they went on sale. And the night before, I don't know what happened. It may have been when. Do you remember when Alex Van Halen all of a sudden had like a neck brace on? Do you remember that? Uh, bagel, yeah. yeah. So this may have been it. it so it, the concert was supposed to be on a Monday night, and Sunday afternoon, word came out that they'd canceled and had to reschedule. So they rescheduled it for a few months later. And Our Lady Peace was all right. They were nothing special. But uh, Van Halen, uh, I love both Hagar and Roth. I, I don't, uh, I don't come down on either side. Uh, it was on the Balance Tour, and uh, I just remember it being is so loud, and just the fact that I'm, you know. I'm seeing Eddie Van Halen and a buddy of mine that uh, uh, watches football with me. He uh, he caught one of the guitar picks that uh, uh, Eddie threw out into the crowd that night. But it was on the Balance tour, so it was obviously they were very heavy with Balance. But they opened with a uh, Seventh Sign, the opening song off Balance, which was uh, which I really like the song. But uh, anyway, I love that song. Yeah, it's it's good. He's got that drone at the beginning, and so you know when the when the lights went down, you had that drone in the background and then the music kicked in. But, you know, Eddie was obviously sober and healthy uh, during this tour and uh, his playing was really great. And I saw them three months later in Memphis at the Pyramid with uh, Brother Kane opening. Uh, Brother Kane, in my opinion, was a much better opening band than uh, than Our Lady Peace. But did you ever see... Uh, oh, yeah. Did you ever see Van Halen uh, in this time? Um, and on the Balance Tour, no. Okay. Did not see them on the balance tour. Well, um, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I thoroughly, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I was wanting them to go a little heavier on songs from like uh, OU812 and uh, 5150 than they did. But uh, anytime yep. you get to hear Eddie Van Halen play the guitar in person, it's it's not a bad day. Just yeah, uh, just... Uh, there's no doubt about that. One of my all-time faves. I, I, I think I, that I've. I think that I've seen Van Halen, I've seen them in all forms. So I've seen them live with Roth, I've seen them live with Sammy, and I've seen them live with um, Gary Sharon. Oh, so I've you're, seen you're all one of, three versions. You're one of the five that saw them with Gary Sharon. Yeah, I am. They were actually good with Gary uh, live. Uh, just because they had a good set list going on uh, with Gary live, so. Look, I'm, um, I'm not. Yeah, gonna, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. The the song without you off of uh, the Van Halen three, I really th- that was the single. I I didn't. I really liked it. I know a lot of people hated it, but it, it didn't bother me at all. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that <laughs> record at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and and in fact, I'll give I'll give it a shout out right here. Uh, up until the Rock and Pod Expo, I did not own Van Halen three. It was the only Van Halen record that I didn't own. I owned everything else. But um, uh, my friend and yours, uh, Hollywood Tooney, decided that he was going to give me a little gift, and he uh, he got me uh, Van Halen three at the uh, Rock and Pod Expo and gave it to me and. Uh, so I, I felt like I owed it to him to at least give it a listen again, and um, uh, yeah, okay. So I'll be a, I'll be a little less critical after the years have gone by, and so there is some good stuff on it. It's just a really, really different 
sounding Van Halen record and not necessarily different in a great way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, did you, did, but definitely different. Did you get to meet or talk to uh, Greg Renoff at the expo? I did. Yeah. Greg and I talked a few. All right, so <laughs> when uh, I bought his book, for those who aren't know, uh, Greg wrote a book called uh, Van Halen Rising about the early years of Van Halen that, that had really gotten a lot of good publicity, and uh, there's a decent chance he's going to be on our podcast in the future. But uh, So I bought his book, and we're sitting there talking, and he's going to sign it, and he asked, what's your favorite Van Halen album? I said, Van Halen 2, and he was like, bottoms up, David, uh, you know, Greg Renoff. And when we walked away, I looked at Chris. I said, man, I should have been like Van Halen 3. And uh, Chris, Chris was like, he'd probably been like, man, I'm not selling you the book. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a good read, too. I, I've read that book uh, by Greg. And it's, um, uh, it's, it's nice because it basically digs into the really early years of Van Halen, like, uh, you know, when they were kids and, and – uh, uh, just getting started in, in those formative uh, years of the band. So uh, it's, it's definitely a cool read. All right, Stephen. Well, we talked uh, enough about Van Halen. Who's your uh, who's your third concert? All right. So this was a concert that I saw in 1982. Um, guess where I saw this concert, David? The Mississippi Coast Coliseum in Biloxi. Dang, you're good, David. There you go, buddy. Mississippi Coast Coliseum from Biloxi, 1982. I saw Judas Priest on the Screaming for Vengeance tour. Oh, cool. And it was freaking great. It was uh, a band from Australia called Heaven opened up, um, and... They were pretty good. I didn't know a whole lot about them. They sounded a little bit like ACDC, um, uh, but not completely like ACDC, but just a little bit. I thought they were pretty good. They were all right. They, um, I, I went and got that record uh, some years later, and uh, uh, it hasn't aged well, but it's okay. Um, but Judas Priest, Screaming for Vengeance tour, biggest memory I have of that tour was... Um, the opening, uh, I can't tell you, I was on the barrier, uh, for that show and just the opening when the lights go down and, um, the hellion, uh, kicks in and they open up with the electric eye and Halford starts singing, but you don't see him. And then the spotlight hits him, uh, and he's coming down on this like, um, uh, metal kind of crane thingy. Uh, from the lighting rafter, so so freaking cool. I mean, oh dude, they were so great. <laughs> that was that was one of definitely one of my top uh, five concerts when I was a kid. And that would have been when they were at the height of their popularity, wouldn't it? Uh, probably just coming of age. I mean, Screaming for Vengeance really was the record that kind of broke them in the states, in my opinion. I mean, they had British Steel beforehand, but. Screaming for Vengeance when they got uh, another thing coming on MTV. That really was the kind of the turning point for them in the U.S., in my opinion. So, uh, this is somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but was the uh, parking lot, did it resemble the heavy metal parking lot documentary? (laughs) Every one of my parking lots resembled the heavy metal (laughs) parking lot. 
I mean, dude, that was my period of time. I mean, I was in those parking lots. I was those dudes back in uh, in the early 80s. Uh, so, yeah, to, to be blunt, it absolutely uh, uh, resembled heavy metal parking lot. And then even... And then even years later, and, and I won't talk too much about this concert, but it was also in my top concerts in, in 84, which was two years later, I, I saw the uh, Defenders of the Faith tour uh, with Priest and Biloxi with Great White opening. And Great White was on their first record. Like, <laughs> like the Great White was a different band on that first record. I don't know if you've ever heard that first record. Well, I heard, I heard you, uh, I think it was... On one of your recent podcasts, you were talking with Sonny, and you were really talking about how much you liked that first Great White album. Yeah, it's just a different record. I mean, it's 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 more straight-ahead hard rock, and I've heard people say, well, damn, this record hasn't aged very well. And maybe that's true, but it, it, it is a great straight-ahead hard rock record. And I can remember, check this out, so I remember... Um, one of the coolest things about um, Mississippi Coast Coliseum and, and traveling to Biloxi for me, it was about a two-hour trip each way. And when we went to concerts, we usually ended up staying the night. So there was a hotel that was literally, um, you, you could walk through the parking lot of the Mississippi Coast Coliseum, and there was a fence with a gate in it, and the gate opened up to the back parking lot of this Holiday Inn Hotel. And pretty much almost all the bands always stayed there. Unless you were a really huge band like Van Halen and, and then you were staying like at this Bob Star Hotel. Um, but pretty much all the opening bands always ended up staying at this Holiday Inn. And so we would always stay at this Holiday Inn. And I can remember meeting... Um, Jack Russell and the drummer from the drummer at the time from Great White um, in the laundry room of this hotel. <laughs> wow! Did you did you ha- happen to like get an autograph or anything? Yeah, I got pictures. I still got pictures. I got pictures of. I think I got pictures of me and and the drummer, which I can't even remember the drummer's name. It was first drummer in the band. He ended up suing them at one point in time because he was only on that first record. Um. But uh, I remember meeting him and Jack Russell. I remember joining this fan club for Great White, and I got, like, this personal letter in the mail from Jack Russell. <laughs> I mean, because wow. it was, like, in the really it was like in the really early years of the band. I mean, it was in the initial year of the band, essentially. So they hadn't done anything, so it was, like, a handwritten letter from Jack Russell that was like, hey man, thanks for joining the fan club. You know, just, it was cool, man. You would never hear of anybody doing anything like that these days. You would never hear of anything like that anymore. It's it's too bad, but yeah. I mean, that was those were some of my uh, fondest memories of, of that tour, you know, not to get off track because I don't want that to be one of my one of my top five I'm talking about, but it tied into the other priest thing. So So, um how many times have you seen Priest? Um I've seen Priest I think I've probably seen Priest somewhere in the four or five mark. 
I know that I saw him on the Screaming in the Defenders tour. That's two. I know I saw him um, uh, not too long ago when they were doing um, British Steel in its entirety. Uh, I don't know what tour that was, but it was like three or four years ago. It seems like they were doing British Steel in, in its entirety. I don't think I saw him on the Turbo Tour, uh, which was Heavy Metal Parking Lot, but I don't think I saw that tour. Yeah, I, good thing uh, you weren't at the uh, the one in um, in Maryland, and you could have been with Grandma Dope. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, if you if you don't know what we're talking about, you can go to YouTube, and it's kind of a famous. Uh, I guess you call it a documentary. It's basically a guy with a camera and a microphone interviewing people outside of a uh, Judas Priest docking concert in 1986, and at this uh, podcast expo where I met Stephen, they had. Uh, uh, they had a couple of the guys there uh, at the uh, at the expo, and they had a screening of it, and uh, it was interesting. Uh, one of the guys uh, he famously said, "You know, my name's Graham, like Grandma Dope, or something like that." And so, anyway, he, that guy actually had written a book, but that was a that was an interesting experience. Well, Stephen, there's no good way to segue from Judas Priest into this next band, so I'm just going to have to do it. Um, like I said, I went to the University of Mississippi in Oxford, and uh, if you've ever been there, uh, Ole Miss is was you know, consistently ranked one of the most beautiful campuses in the country. But it's a uh, an area in the center of it called the Grove, which is uh, I have to toot our own horn. Uh, it's usually recognized as one of the two or three best uh, tailgating spots in the country. But it's just this beautiful piece of land, and it has a permanent stage in it. And so when I was at Ole Miss. I saw all kind of people. I saw 311 there, no doubt, uh, Run DMC, uh, you name it. A lot of people came through there. But a concert that just really kind of helped to change my taste in music was uh, I saw Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Are you familiar with them, Stephen? I've heard of them before, yeah. So, yeah, they're from Colorado, and they're kind of borderline, I guess you would say like a blues rock band slash uh, jam band. They had so they had an album that had a song called Sister Sweetly and uh, gosh, uh, uh, Broken Hearted Savior got a lot of radio play. But um, it was at that time I kind of started moving away from you know hard rock metal and grunge to more uh, jam band music. You know, anytime you're in college, a lot of times your 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 taste is going to change. But I just remember being struck by the musicianship and. Uh, it really, uh, after that, you know, I started listening to like Widespread Panic and the Almond Brothers and, uh, you know, bands like that. But Big Head, it was a free show uh, in the Grove. And uh, I just remember it very, very fondly. It was my freshman year and just how, just being struck by how good of musicians they were. And they were great musicians, but yet, you know, it wasn't like a metal or, or hard rock show where, you know, a lot of distorted guitars and, you know, a lot of it wasn't a lot of showmanship as far as uh, uh, you know this what they did on stage, but the music was uh, was really good. And from then on out, uh, you know, like I said, I went down the jam band road uh, a lot more, and still do love that kind of all that music uh, just as much as I do uh, hard rock or metal. I tried to uh, Stephen, I tried to kind of tailor mine a little bit to uh, kind of the growing up rock audience. Uh, but that was one I just had to throw in there because that was the first time I was really like, you know, there may be something out there other than uh, hard rock and metal. 
Well, you know, David, that's that's fine. It's your show. You can do what you want, and I, I support uh, whatever you want to do with your show. But yeah, you know me. That stuff's not gonna fly on Rona Rock. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. So, uh, what's your next concert? So I am gonna talk about uh, 1985. Um, I was fortunate enough, and and truthfully, this is. Uh, one of my favorite concerts just because it was such a great concert from a special effects standpoint to music to everything. But I'm going to talk about seeing Dio on the um, Last in Line tour in 1985. Once again, Mississippi Coast Coliseum. <laughs> so um, th- that was the classic lineup, right? It was the classic lineup, yeah. I was fortunate enough to see, so I was a bit of a freak. I saw um, I saw them on the Last in Line tour in Atlanta uh, with Rough Cut opening. Uh, Wendy Dio was managing Rough Cut at the time. Rough Cut opened. I saw them there. Several weeks later, I went and I saw them down in uh, Biloxi. Uh, so I saw the show twice because it made so much of an impact on me uh, in Atlanta the first time I saw it that I had to go see it again. Wow. Um, and and this time I made sure that I was on the barrier up front for the show because I had personally never seen some of the effects that they were using uh, on that tour. It was kind of a coming of age, new thing. He had this, he had this freaking pyramid on stage with these lasers and just all this crazy cool stuff going on uh, for that tour and I had never seen anything like that because keep in mind I didn't see uh, Kiss in the 70s so I didn't see Kiss until 83 so um, you know I just it was amazing to me. I mean, I love those first three Dio records um, and being able to see the classic lineup and just, and then I saw them again on the Sacred Heart tour uh, where he had the dragon and that was an even better tour. And, and Dokken opened up that show uh, and that was the first time I'd seen Dokken live with the classic lineup. Was it a, uh, was it, was it a packed house? For Dio, uh, it w- it was not actually. I I want to say I want to say both times it was a half house. Hmm. Um, and for the, for those people that don't know what what I what I mean when I say half house, usually the um, uh, it's a full arena. But if they don't sell enough tickets, what they do is they'll run a curtain all the way across the middle of the floor and set up the stage kind of in the middle so that they're only playing to literally half the house. So they only sell tickets for half the house. Um, And I want to say that both times uh, for the last in line and for Sacred Heart in Mississippi, it was a half house. Now, it was a full house at the Omni in Atlanta. So... Your your first time seeing Dio, what what were some of the like you were talking about the special effects? Like specifically, what were some of the things that they did? Just that, like the on the, on the last in line tour, they had this big pyramid that the drums sat on, and they had this t- 
top that raised up. I, I seem to remember this top raising up and revealing the drum kit underneath, and um, this door opened up in the middle of the of the um, pyramid, and that's where Dio came out of. And for the for the Sacred Heart tour, they had this dragon that freaking talked to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they had this they had like this laser dragon uh, thing. Uh, you know, it was just, it was super cool. I mean, it's kind of hard to describe, and especially now, you know, whatever, 30 years later, it's really hard to describe, but these were just certain images that I remember from that tour and from seeing that show. And I remember as a kid just being kind of amazed, like, wow, you know, it's like all these loud guitars and rock and roll and all this stuff is going on, and music's awesome, but on top of it, you got like, these pyro explosions and lasers and dragons talking to people and stuff. I was like, man, this is killer. So, uh, was, it, all right, it, will you go see the uh, Ronnie James Dio hologram if it comes to Atlanta? Man, I don't know about all that. I'll be honest with you. I'm a sucker for live music, period. So, right. I mean, you'll find me, You'll find if the price is right, you'll find me at rock and roll shows all the time. I mean, uh, I went and saw Bon Jovi tribute band the other night just because it was free, it was in the park, and it was beautiful weather. So, you know, I'm just a sucker for live music. Will I go see the Dio hologram? Maybe just to see the Dio disciples, not necessarily for the hologram, and the ticket price would have to be, like, really good, like, probably almost free otherwise no <laughs> and it'll have to be on a reasonable night because yeah i'm not i'm not so much down with all that stuff i mean i think you know i don't know i have mixed feelings about all that it's a cash grab that's all it is yeah it is but you know again if it's if the live music is being played and it's being played well i'm okay with that you know because i like live music um but you know, I don't know. So the next show I'm going to go to will definitely fit in with uh, the Growing Up Rock audience. It is uh, Lollapalooza 1996 uh, outside of the UNO Lakefront Arena in New Orleans. And uh, my l- fraternity little brother at the time, uh, Ryan Wallace, if you're listening in New, Jer- in New Jersey, how are you? Uh, he lived in Kenner, which is just outside of New Orleans. And uh, he was like, you want to go to Lollapalooza? So I remember it was during the summer, and uh, we didn't have tickets. And I'm like, "Hey, man, we don't have tickets." And he goes, "Oh, we don't. Have, we don't need tickets." So it turns out his godfather was a longtime uh, New New Orleans Police Department. I guess he was the a police. He was in charge of like special events and stuff. So he told us, you know, be at such and such spot at such and such time. And then we got to the gate, and he just showed his badge and said, "They're with me." And we walked in. Uh, walked in the the gate and then he turned and walked out and so uh, that was uh, they had Screaming Trees uh, Waylon Jennings which is odd and I'll get to that in a second um, Rancid Rage Against the Machine um, The Ramones Soundgarden and Metallica was the closer and wow. suppo- this, one, this is when Load came out so supposedly one of the um, request that James Hetfield had. He said, if we do Lollapalooza, I want Waylon Jennings on a few dates. 
So Waylon Jennings plays, and you know, if you aren't familiar, he sings the theme song to uh, Dukes of Hazard, just a good old boy. And people are moshing to that. And <laughs> Waylon, like, he's like, I've seen some strange things, but you know, I never thought I would, you know, see that. But what sticks out to me was how good Metallica was. Soundgarden was awful. Uh, matter of fact, if you if I had to rank like the worst live bands I've ever seen, Sound, Soundgarden it, it comes in at one, number one or number two. Maybe it was just an off night for them. Uh, I don't know. wasn't a huge fan of Rage Against the Machine. Um, they were we unfortunately were a little bit closer to the stage than I would have liked to have been when they started playing, but we got out of there. But Metallica is so good on the Load tour. You know, they just cut their hair, and I remember the. Um, the, what really stands out to me was uh, one when they played it. You know, all the lights went out and the bombs start exploding on the stage. And then at the very top of the stage with a red light on him was a uh, Hepfield. You know, dun, 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 starting into one. But uh, it was cool. It started at noon and it ended probably around midnight. So it was like twelve hours of music. Of course, they had side stages. And if you're from that area, you, you are you pretty familiar with New Orleans, Stephen? Uh, yeah, apparently. So, the, you know, UNA Lakefront Arena is literally on Lake Pontchartrain, and so it was an area behind it. So it was it was a cool setting, but uh, seeing Metallica at that time, you know, they were, you could argue they were the biggest band in the world, and uh, they played a, a really, really smoking set. Uh, only time I've been able to see Metallica, I hope to see them again, but... Uh, walked in for free with a police officer, <laughs> and... Uh, That's killer. One thing I do remember, and don't laugh at me, this will tell you the the time frame i was wearing a pair of birkenstocks and didn't think to put a uh, sunscreen on on my feet and you know new orleans in july and my feet got sunburned so bad that the area of my skin where the birkenstocks didn't cover up swelled up to where it rose up higher than the birkenstock and uh my buddy ryan was in the same shape so we wound up sitting the next day with our feet in ice water but uh a lot of fun uh, going to a festival like that, you know, and, and getting to see, uh, you know, Metallica, Lollapalooza. Did you did you catch that that tour when they were going around? I have never seen a uh, Lollapalooza tour, and I, oddly enough, Metallica is one of the very few bands I've never seen live. Really, I figured I figured you would have seen them plenty of times living in Atlanta. It's crazy, right? It's a, it's one of the few like hard rock bands, and here's 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 one even stranger. It's not like I'm a casual Metallica fan or even a new Metallica fan that came around when the Black record came out. I actually had Metallica on the Kill 'Em All record when that record first came out. I was one of the one of the individuals that bought that record early on. Wow. So it's just, it's one of those weird things where schedules never matched up. And by the time schedules did match up, I wasn't willing to pay 150 bucks for a ticket to sit in the nosebleed of a stadium. Right. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of where we are at because I mean, they came through town not that long ago on this, uh, hardwired the self-destruct tour and they were playing SunTrust Park, but I just don't have a desire to pay 150 bucks for a ticket to sit in nosebleed seats at the stadium to see a band. I'd rather watch it on YouTube. Well, I don't, I don't, I, I, don't you, I don't care if they somehow resurrected uh, 
John Lennon. I'm not sitting outdoors in Atlanta in July for six or seven hours for for anybody. It's just it's just one of those you know everybody has their opinions and their priorities and things like that. It's hard for me to pay that kind of money um, for a concert. Um, and especially, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not a huge, uh, Avenged Sevenfold fan at all. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't, and I, and I don't know a whole lot about, um, uh, who was the third band that was opening up. I can't remember now, but there's a third band on the bill that's pretty popular now too. And, and I'm just not, uh, I just wasn't willing to do it, bottom line. So I didn't. Well, I tell so you I've what. I've never seen Metallica live. Next time they come to Atlanta, I'll take you. We'll go as long as it's not outdoors. All right, All right man. Well, I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping by the time next time rolls around that they come to Atlanta, maybe I can hit the right publicist up and they'll give us tickets to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if that happens, uh, don't forget your friend David. I'm just. I'm just a quick drive uh, away. All, all right. right, cool. All right, so uh, we're down to your final show, Stephen. Is it my turn? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so I feel, like I said, I threw this list together, and, and it was in no particular order. But I couldn't, I couldn't admit my first, my first rock concert. That was one that I had to do. But I, I gotta, I gotta tell you a quick story about a bonus concert. Is that all right? Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Well, look, first of all, let me get to, to, to my biggest memory. My biggest memory is my initial concert that I went to as a kid in 1982 uh, in Mobile, Alabama, actually. Um, I traveled as a kid with other kids and friends from high school because he owned a car. And we went and saw the mighty Van Halen on the Diver Down Tour. Ah, cool. Um, and I actually, I actually wrote, um, an article, um, about my memories from this concert, which you can go to growinguprock.com and just look in the, the blog section of the website, because I wrote an article about this, um, my first concert, um, Van Halen Diver Down Tour, and also I posted some of the snapshots that I took. Uh, from that night because I still had snapshots from probably four or five rows back off of the stage um, down in front of Eddie Van Halen Um, and I snapped off a couple pictures they're not great pictures keep in mind I was 16, 17 years old actually yeah 16 I think at that point 15 or 16 but um, and uh not good camera technology back then. <laughs> so, so they are what they are. You can definitely tell what, what's going on. I mean, I got a picture of Dave, a picture of Mike, and a picture of uh, Eddie. Uh, so you can for sure tell uh, in the snapshots. But that that's probably going to always resonate as, as my top concert. I mean, I can remember the lights going off uh, and... Um, Spotlight hitting Eddie uh, in a, on the opening riff of Romeo's Delight, uh, and it just it rocked my world. Well, and that's cool that you saw them. Also, like they were really big, but you know, it wasn't until uh, 1984 came out that they just you know became really what they are. 
as far as like popularity and I would have liked to have seen them before 1980, the 1984 album for sure. Because did they did they go heavy on Diver Down or or did they? Because that to me is their weakest album, other than you know the Gary Sharon album. They did go heavy. Van Halen, to me, Van Halen was always kind of a band that was um, they always went heavy on whatever record they were supporting. So. Um, if you look back at their at their set list from different time periods, they were always a band that kind of favored whatever record they were supporting. So yeah, they went they went pretty heavy um, uh, on the set list. I even out of curiosity, I looked up the set list because it's great. You can find all those things online now. Um, and it, the the name of the tour was the. Uh, what was it? I think it's like the Women Hide Their Sheep Tour or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. It was pretty funny. Def- but, um, definitely yeah, sounds went, like something that David Lee Roth would have come up with. Yeah, they went pretty heavy on Diver Down. I think they played um, uh, Where Have All the Good Times Gone, Secrets, Little Guitars. I know they played for sure. Um, Full Bug they played. I love Full Bug. God, that song's awesome. Did they play Pretty uh, so Woman? Yeah, of course, they played Pretty Woman. So I think they played probably half the record on that tour. Let me ask you this, since you're a big Van Halen fan. Does it kind of frustrate you with their first, I guess, all the way up until 1984, how many covers they put on their albums? Not necessarily, because here's the thing, um, and this was really, really true, especially when I was growing up. Half the time when Van Halen does a cover song, you don't even know it's a cover song. Like, I, for the longest time, I had no idea that Where Have All the Good Times Gone was a cover song. I didn't know that was a cover song. I had no clue. Um, and for a long time, you're no good. Off right. of Van Halen, too, I didn't know. Uh, you know, so so Van Halen, I mean, if you if you read Greg Renoff's book, um, and and you've listened to them or studied them at all. I mean, I, I learned a lot of this when I was a big fan growing up. But Van Halen, they made their bones playing clubs around California. And part of the cool thing about them in those clubs and at those parties, those back backdoor back backyard parties, was that they played cover songs their own way. Like they made them, they Van Halenized these cover songs so that um you know they just weren't didn't sound anything like the originals half the time but they were cool in their own way you know right so so yeah that doesn't really bug me that much um you know uh, take it or leave it that is what it is well it just seemed like especially like on on diver down they they were really searching reaching for some originals you know Almost like they had creatively were spent there for a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends on who you want to listen to as far as that Diver Down record goes. Listen, Diver Down, definitely not my favorite Van Halen record. I still think it gets probably a little bit bad rap um, on the record because I think there's plenty of good material. Like, I think... I think Secrets is probably one of the better, and and I'll call it a ballad. It's maybe not a true ballad, but I think Secrets is one of the better ballads that Van Halen has ever written. That's an awesome song. Uh, 
Yeah, it is. Uh, it the is. melody line, the melody line for that song is great. But half the people say that that Diver Down was Dave wanting to do cover songs, and Eddie wanted to do original material, and it was a tug of war, which kind of led into '84 and and eventually the demise of the band. But uh, you know, it's all on who you listen to. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know too much about that band in terms of they're so secretive about their stuff. You know, it's like, okay, so when they got back together to do this uh, different kind of truth, they just essentially rehashed a bunch of demos that they had um, for that record. And I think that record's awesome, personally. I like different kind of truth, but they, they use demos from, you know, back in... 78 for some of that material right so do they do they really struggle creatively is that really the problem or are they just lazy or you know i I mean i don't know the answer i'm asking um you know a rhetorical question i don't know the answer to a lot of this stuff i have this demo tape um that has it's called the Warner Brother Demos. I'm sure it's out there. People have heard it before, but it's got like 20-some-odd songs. Um, some of them were on the first, um, you know, turned out to be the first Van Halen record, but a lot of it is things that turned out to be other Van Halen songs, but they're titled with different things. So they reworked them into the songs that you know today, you know? So it's it's just interesting um, that band they're they're a secretive band. Well, you know, put out a lot of information. Greg put out that that book. You know, and I think what it's it's first of all it's a good book, but I think one of the reasons it's so successful is there's so little information out there. Um, uh-huh. You know, and uh, they uh, you know their fans are just rabid for anything. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I like uh, the last album and thought it was uh, surprisingly very heavy. Uh, which didn't bother me one bit. So was that your bonus show, or, or you have one more? No, that was that was one of my top five. So here's a quick story about okay. my bonus show. Quick story about my bonus show is that I was in um, uh, my sophomore year at high school, and uh, it was a weeknight. Um, and again, I lived um, probably two and a half hours away from Biloxi, Mississippi. But there was a concert coming to town that I did not want to miss. Uh, and I wanted badly. And I knew there was no way my parents were going to let me go to a, a concert on a school night two and a half hours away, out of town, essentially. So I had to figure out a way to sneak out of my house to get to this concert, get back without my parents knowing. Um, and... I, I tried to recollect just how this all went down because I know it did go down because I went to that concert. I got the concert shirt, which I still own today. I went and saw Kiss on the Creatures of the Night tour with Riot and Vandenberg opening up. Um, and it was Kiss in full makeup with Vinnie Vincent on guitar. Wow. Um, and, and it was a half house in Biloxi, Mississippi, on a school night. <laughs> how did how did you not get caught? Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure. Here's what I think happened. 
and this is basically off of my memory, what I'm pretty sure happened is that I had my own room at that point. We're living in an apartment. I had my own room, and I think that I told my parents I wasn't feeling well, and I was going to bed. Um, and this was would have literally been, it would have had to have been somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 3.34 o'clock in the afternoon. It would have had to have been for me to make it to Biloxi in time to see this show. So whatever the case was, I don't, cause I don't think I told, in fact, I'm almost a hundred percent sure I didn't tell him I was going to spend the night at somebody's house or nothing like that. Cause I wouldn't have done that on a school night. Maybe I told him I was going over to a friend's house to do homework and I would be home later. I don't know. Maybe that's the deal, but somehow I made it out of the house and made it back in the house at, you know, two o'clock in the morning in time to get up and go to school the next morning. And I know because I have my kiss shirt on and maybe my parents knew and they just never said anything to me, but nobody ever caught me. So did you ever come clean with them and tell them? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that man. Nope. Sure did. That was, sure did. That was ballsy. The worst thing about the whole concert is my concert shirt still don't fit today, David. <laughs> I tried it. Don't think I didn't try it on though. Well, uh, have you uh, have you told our friends uh, Chris and Aaron from the Dustful Geek that you got to see uh, Kiss with Vinnie Vincent? I have. I've told that. I've told them that story before. Yeah, because I was right in front of Vinnie Vincent for that for that show, and and uh, you know primarily. I've always been sort of a casual Kiss fan. Like I'm not a Kiss freak, like like uh, like those guys or some of the other uh, people that we we uh, associate with. I like Kiss. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not a Kiss freak. So um, the the draw for that was was there were several things going on for that to be so important to me. One was being able to see Kiss in makeup for the first time. That was obviously one thing for me. Uh, two was, I really liked Riot and Vandenberg. I, I liked those two bands. So being able to get a triple bill of bands that you just don't get to see every day. Like, I mean, that was the only time that I'd ever seen Riot and I really liked Vandenberg too. Right. Um, so, you know, just being able to get that triple dose of music and, and, you know, being on the barrier for a half house. I mean, I had a great time, man. That was an awesome concert. Yeah. I'm not a huge, uh, kiss fan either, but, uh, uh, I do like that album, uh, creatures of the night, one of their heavier albums. Uh, if you ask me, well, that was a good set list. I, I bet it was. And you got to see, you know, because Vinny didn't tour just, but maybe two tours with them, isn't that right? Pretty much, yeah. Creatures of the Night and, and uh, Look It Up. So my final show is going to be uh, 1997, uh, the Rolling Stones at Vanderbilt Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee, with uh, Sheryl Crow was the opening act. Nice. And what I remember about this was uh, it was a Sunday night, so Ole Miss was playing Alabama that Saturday, so uh, we had a party at our fraternity house. It was me and four other guys, and we more or less stayed up the whole night. And uh, we left out about, 
one or two in the afternoon for Nashville. And Nashville is about four, four and a half hours, I guess you'd say, from uh, from Oxford. Well, you know, this wasn't uh, in the days of cell phones or, uh, you know, having a lot of information at your hands. So we left Oxford. It was probably 75, 76 degrees. I don't know what happened between there and Nashville. But when we got to Nashville, we got out, it was like 37 degrees. And we all either had on, you know, short, you know, T-shirts or shorts. And, you know, we were like, there's no way we're going to miss, you know, um, the stones. So we, and it was, it was, it was also overcast. It was drizzling. I just remember it's the coldest I think I've ever been in my life. And we were all huddled up there together. And and there were these people next to us that felt sorry for us. And I remember them like giving us like a a jacket or something like that. But it was really cool because Vanderbilt Stadium is not really all that big. I think it it may have been 30,000 people there. And uh, Sheryl Crow, first of all, was awesome opener. But uh, seeing the Stones, you know, one of the biggest bands of all time, and that was on the Bridges to Babylon tour, which I, I happen to like uh, that album. Um, anyway, they great set list, and they did uh, Far Away Eyes off of Some Girls, which is a song they hardly ever do, so I got to say I saw that. And uh, I just remember uh, Start Me Up and Brown Sugar and Jumpin' Jack Flash and, uh, you know, just these anthemic songs, and you're getting to see, you know... Uh, Hard pressed to say there's you know any more famous musicians alive than you know than Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, and uh, I actually saw them a year later in Memphis on the uh, No Security tour with uh, Johnny Lang opening. But uh, for me, it was all about uh, freezing to death. And uh, if you know me, I'm a very hot natured person. So if I say it's cold, it was cold. And uh, immediately after the show was over with, we drove back to Oxford and got in it like five in the morning you know one of those things if i did now i would it would take me a week to recover from it but uh the stones uh they don't disappoint and uh i hope to catch them one more time have you ever been lucky enough to see them steven i have not man i mean that's definitely there's been a couple things on my bucket list that that i would love to do and and one would definitely be the stones just so i could say that i saw them um and then the other would probably be uh, McCartney, um, because I mean, obviously, it's hard for for me to be into rock and roll as much as I am, and and be somewhat of a um, rock and roll history guy, not to want to see the Stones or or McCartney. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I I love both the Stones and the Beatles. Uh, it's part of my part of my DNA and part of uh, the bands that I grew up with. But um, yeah, I'll, I wish I could make that happen for sure. Well, it's not a cheap ticket. <laughs> not now, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I defer back to our earlier conversation where I said I wasn't going to pay two hundred bucks or one hundred and fifty bucks to sit in the nosebleed at the stadium. It kind of is the same thing. So yeah, it definitely. Um... I definitely enjoyed seeing them at the Pyramid better than I did um, at Vanderbilt, just from a sound standpoint. I saw the uh, I saw U two uh, in Atlanta at the Georgia Dome, and it, you know it's, it's really cool seeing U two. But the Georgia Dome's so big that you know you just the sound quality suffers. Um, so, so what much. tour was that? Uh, what tour was that? You U two that was. Um, Two albums ago, uh, No Line on the Horizon, I think, tour. Okay, 
Okay, it wasn't the opening. So, so the reason I ask that is because uh, when the Georgia Dome first opened up in Atlanta, um, the first concert in the Georgia Dome was U2, and I actually worked that show. <laughs> Uh, would you agree that the sound is kind of bad? <laughs> For well, yeah, I think I think I think anything in in places like that is never usually that great. It just bounces around in a big old freaking um, circular tin cup, you know. Well, now you guys have a a brand new arena that you can go see uh, concerts in uh, here. Pretty, I guess, I guess it's open now because the Falcons are playing in it, right? Yeah, it's open. Mercedes Benz. Well, um, Stephen, I have really, uh, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, it's been a fun topic. I brought back a lot of uh, a lot of good memories on a kind of a uh, a sad news day uh, as we're recording on Monday. Obviously, the tragedy in Las Vegas, and then uh, just got word that Tom Petty's been found in a full cardiac arrest. So, uh, uh, our thoughts and prayers with uh, Tom and with uh, all the people out there in Las Vegas. But nonetheless. Uh, uh, brought a smile to my face today, Stephen. Well, I'm glad I could do that. It's all about growing up rock. Um, definitely don't want to end on a negative note. So, um, you know, keep hopes up. Keep rocking. That's so, what it's all about, right? Yeah, it is. And I just want to tell everybody to go to growinguprock.com. Uh, you guys are on Twitter as well. Your what, What's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at Growing Up Rock. It's G R O W I N U P R O C K. So it's Growing G R O W I N, not with the G at the end. And, and go to your usual uh, podcast outlets and um, uh, subscribe to it. Uh, it's a great, um, a, a great podcast. Uh, I would recommend the uh, musical ADD episode that you guys just did with uh, that you did with Sunny. Uh, Pooney. That was very interesting, and I think that's a condition that we all um, suffer from to some extent. So, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. I had a great time. Hey, David, I appreciate you having me on, buddy.